0: Let's open our Bibles together to the fifth Psalm, Psalm 5, A Psalm of David. This will form part of the basis for our explanation of prayer as the Heidelberg Catechism gives that to us in Lord's Day 45. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity, thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing, the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man, but as for me I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple, lead me O Lord in thy righteousness because of mine enemies make thy way straight before my face for there is no faithfulness in their mouth their inward part is very wickedness their throat is an open sepulcher they flatter with their tongue destroy thou them O God let them fall by their own counsels cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions for they have rebelled against thee but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee for thou lord wilt bless the righteous with favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield heidelberg catechism introduces the subject of prayer to us in lord's day 45 you'll find that on page 25 in the back of your psalter Lord's Day 45, question 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us, and also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires, continually ask them of him, and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which he will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested himself in his word. For all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word, what hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer he himself has taught us. And then what follows are the words of the Lord's Prayer. If you are a father here this morning, there are especially two things that delight you in your relationship with your children. One is that your children receive your word with a sense of honor to you as a father, gratitude to you as a father, if you tell them something that they are to do, if they would respond by saying or thinking, this is the will of my father. My father's will is good and right for me. I will obey and will honor him. That's a joy to a father. And the second is that they talk to you, that they speak to you that they open themselves up to you that they express what is inside of them to you including sharing their life with you in humble gratitude to you as their father well so too God our Heavenly Father with us his children God has taken us out of the house of bondage and he has adopted us into his own house into his covenant and made us his sons and daughters and what delights our Father in our relationship to him as we live in his house is first that we look up to him and say, Father, what is thy will for me? I am thy son, thy child. And I know what thy will expressed for me as the father of his children is going to be good. And so, I will receive that will, thy commands, and honor thee by obeying them. And then second, what delights our Heavenly Father is when we speak to him. When we open ourselves up to him and talk to him and express to him what is inside of us and especially declare to him our humble gratitude for all that he is to us. Our Reformed fathers, recognizing those two things as the teaching of Scripture of what is the greatest delight of our Heavenly Father in his relationship to us, have therefore placed the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer in the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism. As a response of gratitude, now we as his children brought into his house part of his family, adopted into his covenant and kingdom, we say to our Father, we're going to obey you. Here's your will, your law, we're going to obey you. And we say, we're going to speak to you in our relationship to you. Here's how you've taught us to pray, and we're going to pray this way. We've been through the law in this third section of the catechism, and now it introduces us, the catechism does, to this holy speech of prayer in Lord's Day 45. Prayer is how we communicate with God, expressing our gratitude and love to Him. Prayer is the soul looking up, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. That's what prayer is. It's the soul looking up. So often we're looking down, and even our soul is looking down upon everything here in this life, but the soul looks up in prayer and communicates to Jehovah God. As the Catechism introduces prayer to us, now in this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 45, I want you to notice That our fathers are concerned that we hold the biblical balance as we think about living a life of prayer. There are three questions and answers in Lord's Day 45 teaching us about prayer in general. There's the fourth, but the fourth gives us the Lord's Prayer itself. Each of those three questions and answers that we spoke in response contain a twin teaching, two teachings that are to be held together as a biblical balance as we learn about prayer. The first set of twin teachings is in question and answer 116 concerning the necessity of prayer. And they are these two things, that first prayer is something that is necessary, that is commanded of Jehovah God. There's a law behind prayer, but at the same time, It's something that comes from an inward compulsion. It's a commanded compulsion. And that will be the first part, point of the sermon this morning. Then the second set of twin truths is given in question and answer 117, which is speaking about how we approach God in prayer. And there it teaches us that God is holy. We must approach him as the holy God And at the same time, He is our Father and must approach Him in the sense of His fatherhood and mercy so that we come before Him with both of those together in our mind. He is a holy Father. That will be the second point of the sermon. And then in question and answer 118, the catechism answers the question, what are we to pray for? And there we're taught to hold the balance between praying for things for the body and things for the soul together. And that will be the third point of the sermon this morning. I know you have gratitude in your heart. Beloved, every true child of God does. Let's take up an introduction to the expression of that gratitude this way in prayer this morning so that we might understand it and be spurred on in this spiritual discipline. The spiritual discipline of prayer is the theme. We'll notice first then that it's a commanded compulsion. Second, we pray to a holy father. And third, we pray for body and for soul. When the Catechism introduces prayer to us here, it jumps straight to the point. Why is prayer necessary? It asks that because prayer is necessary. You must pray. Oh, don't talk like that, minister, about prayer. Prayer is supposed to be just spontaneous and and free-flowing. It sounds so law-ish that you must pray. It's both. Prayer is commanded, and we need to know that and appreciate that. It helps us. To know that. It helps us in our battle against the old man, because there is an old man within us that does not want to pray, that would do about anything else but pray. In prayer we come face to face with the living God, and the old man within us doesn't want to be anywhere near the living God, especially not that close in communion and fellowship with God, and so there's something in us that runs away from him It does not want this. And creates, therefore, this battle between old and new within us. And the fact that we know that prayer is commanded, that our Father looks down upon us and says, pray, you must pray as my children. It helps us in that battle against that old man to overcome it and to approach our Father face-to-face in prayer. Because our Father commands prayer, Prayer is to be a regular disciplined pattern in our lives. Just like worship, it's a spiritual discipline. That's why it's commanded that we might discipline ourselves to continue to have this pattern in our life. The Catechism points this out. When it asks the question, why is prayer necessary for the Christian, it responds, it's the chief part of thankfulness that God has, what, has commanded of us, has required of us. In answer 117, it says we are to pray to the one true God for all things he has commanded us to ask of him. In question 116, it asks, what has God commanded us to ask him and that's thoroughly scriptural all throughout the Bible. There are commands to God's people to pray. Pray without ceasing. That's in the imperative. Church, pray without ceasing. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Repent of your sins, the scriptures say, and pray God to be forgiven them. Finally, brethren, pray for us. There is a law in prayer, a command, a requirement. And God's people are to answer this law, this command, with regular habits, with patterns of prayer, with a discipline of praying at specific times, even if we don't always feel like it at first, we respond to this command by making it a regular, disciplined part of our life. In our relationship to Jehovah God, are there not things in your other relationships that you make a disciplined pattern in your life? In your marriage, are there not things that you do in your marriage? In your relationship with your children, are there not things that you do regularly, that you've made a pattern, a disciplined pattern, because you know it's good for the relationship? And even if you don't, always feel like doing those things at first. You do them because it's part of your relationship, so too our relationship to Jehovah God. It is not the case that having a spiritual discipline and loving God are somehow at odds with each other. They go together. Daniel prayed three times a day. So regularly, so disciplined, so in a pattern, that his enemies knew exactly when he was going to pray. The God-fearing saints in the Old Testament often prayed that way three times a day, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. David says in the Psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 5, every morning, O Lord in the morning, not O Lord one morning, but regularly in the morning, I'm going to make this a pattern in my life, I'm going to discipline myself to pray, O Lord in the morning, to direct my prayer unto Thee and to look up. It was a spiritual discipline for David. The Lord's Prayer itself that Jesus taught us to pray assumes that there's going to be a spiritual discipline of daily praying in our life. Think of the petition, give us this day our daily bread. That assumes that we're praying every single day and that as part of our prayer we're going to pray for our daily bread. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. Peter and John. In Acts 3, verse 1, prayed at the regular time of the morning sacrifice. They went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And though, of course, in the New Testament, there are no laws or commands that say the Christian must pray at these times in the day, or he must pray this many times a day, nonetheless, the entire Scripture, the entire New Testament assumes that we are going to decide for ourselves that we're going to pray at certain times in our day. And that this is going to be a commitment, a discipline that we have in our life. This is part of what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he tells the church to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. And even if one aspect of that is a kind of Life that's lived, quorum deo, so that we're always walking before the face of God. Even more, what the Apostle means there is don't stop your regular patterns of prayer in your life. Don't let laziness and busyness be used as excuses to break your regular habits, your regular patterns of prayer pray habitually without letting go of those habits. Of course, we have to be careful not to let those regular habits of prayer become mere going through the motions without any spirituality. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But being careful for that does not mean that we conclude that we're only going to pray when we overwhelmingly feel like it. And that's going to be how we ensure that we have real spirituality in our prayers, that we forget about any sense of a disciplined prayer life or patterns, and we're just going to pray when we feel overwhelmed to do so. If we do that, there's going to be portions of our life where we hardly pray at all. Because we all go through times of up and down in our spirituality. The devil would absolutely love it if you came to the conclusion that you're only going to pray when you really, really felt like it. He would love it because it would open you up to so much attack from him. Part of how we remain strong against temptation is by the regular discipline of prayer, even if we don't particularly feel like it. It's one of the spiritual disciplines, like other spiritual disciplines in our lives. We come to church twice a Sunday, even if we don't feel like it. We do family devotions at the supper table even if we had a long day. It's a spiritual discipline. So too, prayer is a spiritual discipline in our life, and as parents, we are charged also in setting these disciplines in the lives of our children, and so we teach them, and we teach them by our own example too. We don't skip church unless God makes it impossible for us to go giving us a sickness or preventing us in some other way. We do family devotions unless we can't in his providence and we pray and you children are going to pray regularly daily in your life as a disciplined pattern of your life. So how are we doing? How are we doing in our prayer life? Is it regular? Is it a daily pattern in your life and in mine, and are we teaching that to our children? If we don't have much of a prayer life, the first thing that must be said about it is the same first thing that must be said if we don't have much of a church life or a family devotional life. It must be a discipline, a spiritual discipline pattern that you give over to in your life, first of all, and that you give yourself over to in your life because you love Jehovah God, this God who commands his children to pray to him, who looks upon them as father and says, father and children must speak to each other. I've brought you into my house, into this relationship of the covenant, and I love you. I want you to speak to me, and I command you to do so. Therefore, set this pattern in your life. Love is still the motivation, to be sure. It's the motivation to have the pattern, to set the pattern, to have this spiritual discipline. Love and discipline do not go against each other, they perfectly melt together. And it's a love for him then that disciplines me to keep the pattern in my life, even when I don't feel like to overcome the weakness, to overcome the old man that wants to run away from him and not come close to him, and to keep this discipline. And you know, as you do, you know what you discover? You discover two things. First of all, you discover, man, am I thankful. my parents set these disciplines in my life from my youth up of faithful church attendance of other spiritual disciplines including this of a regular prayer life because it is hard to set patterns in life and I'm going to set these patterns redouble my efforts to ensure that my children have these patterns set in their life come what may And secondly, you realize the more I keep these patterns, the more I enjoy the very thing that I'm doing. Those ditches of regular habit that are dug by keeping the discipline are more and more regularly filled with uh, the water of real spirituality as I do them. Sometimes more to be sure, sometimes less to be sure. But as I keep the discipline and the pattern in my life, rains of grace come down and fill those ditches so that there is a love, a a real spirituality that's motivating me to keep the discipline, And as I keep it, there's real spirituality that's more and more filling the actual prayers that I pray. Prayer is not just a discipline, like trimming your fingernails is a discipline, but it's a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline. But there's also this inward compulsion that allows you to keep the discipline. That makes me say, I'm going to have this as a priority in my life. I want to keep this discipline. And then that fills the actual prayers with spiritual vitality. And that inward compulsion, beloved, is two things. Two things. First of all, it is the inward compulsion of gratitude, of thankfulness. This is the third part of the catechism now, and the catechism has brought us a long way to get to this point. It doesn't start out here, but it started way back there. Understand your misery, child of God, where you are, whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, this is your situation in this world. You're a sinner and you're under the just judgment of Jehovah God and how will you be delivered and the deliverance is only in this Lord Jesus Christ turned to him in faith and repentance and his deliverance washes over us and as that does we're filled with this gratitude to him that he's granted this to me and that he's adopted me into his house And how can I express my gratitude to him in my life And the Catechism says prayer is the chief outlet for that inward compulsion of gratitude. Even beyond obedience, not that obedience should be lessened or dismissed, but that prayer is even the greater expression of this gratitude. The greater way that this inward compulsion will flow out of the child of God. Why? Because in prayer I'm I'm coming before him directly, face to face, and I say to him this God that I once feared that I ran away from because all that was in me was old man that I dreaded, I now approach him in intimacy overcoming that feeling in the old man that still wants to run away, and I expressed to him my love for him and my thanks gratitude to him. When I was growing up, our family had a pet dog once that we got from a man of whom that dog was terribly afraid. And this dog, would not come near us, he was scared of us, he'd obey us, sit, he would sit, but he would not come close. And I can remember myself sitting in the backyard sometimes for over an hour trying to get this dog to come close to me and other members of my family doing the same. And then the wonderful moment when he finally, finally came close and rested his head upon my lap. Our obedience to this God whom we once dreaded is good. It's a marvelous expression of our gratitude, of our love for him, our delight in him. But the catechism is right that what delights him chiefly is that we come this close through the communion of prayer face to face to Him. This God that once all we did was run away from Him. We say to Him, all that I am I owe to Thee Lord. I love Thee and I'm thankful for what Thou hast done for me. Does do for me every day. It's the psalmist of Psalm 5 who in verse 5 knows the reality that God hates the workers of iniquity apart from Jesus Christ but who has the knowledge that he has been redeemed out of that and therefore he comes to the house of God and worships and prays with thanksgiving verse 7 and looks up in heartfelt gratitude. He comes close in church worship In personal worship, in family worship, so close that he comes and directly speaks to him. So the first part of this inward compulsion of prayer is this gratitude to Jehovah God that leads me to keep the discipline and that fills the prayers that I'm praying with spiritual vitality. And the second inward compulsion that does that is my own sense that there's a lot of things I need him to give me. As I live in this world, seeking to live as his adopted child before his face, especially I need grace and the Holy Spirit. And as the Catechism points out, God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask them of Him. Of course, it's not talking about the initial gift of grace and the Holy Spirit. That comes to us without any asking on our part. The Holy Spirit just comes upon us without our even being aware of it or seeking it. We can't see it. We're completely dominated by our own sin and blindness and he gives us grace and the Holy Spirit and regenerates us making us alive when we were dead and couldn't ask for him. But now once alive, the catechism says God's pattern with his children is to give ever richer measures of grace and the Holy Spirit in the way of our praying for them. We're not dead spiritually anymore. He's made us alive as his children and brought us into this covenant, into this house where we are his adopted sons and daughters. And he wants us to interact with him as children before a father. Father, I have needs. I need grace. I need the Holy Spirit. Grant it to me. It doesn't mean we're in control of God. It doesn't mean that the way we interact with God is that he's like the gumball machine and our prayer is like the quarter, just put it in, turn the the thing and and out comes grace and the Holy Spirit. He's still in control of all of it ultimately. He decrees from all eternity that we're going to have this richer measure of grace and the Holy Spirit at this point in our life. And he also decrees the means by which he will grant it to us. This way, by our asking, and he grants us the grace to ask. It's the same thing. It's just like he decrees that the children of the church will be brought to believing maturity. And he decrees part of the means by which that will come to pass is by the faithful raising of them of their parents. Our prayer does not change God's mind, it does not force God's hand, it's not that he wasn't going to give us grace in the Holy Spirit except, ah, they prayed for it, now I have to give it to them. He decreed to give it to us from eternity and to give it to us in this way of our asking, which way he also decreed would take place and that he would lead us to ask so that he remains. Both absolutely sovereign and the God of the Covenant. And this Covenant remains an actual relationship in which we interact with Him and ask and receive from Him so that it's still true what James says in James 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. Are you struggling against some sin in your life? Are you praying for grace and the Holy Spirit? Well, I did once four years ago. Are you praying regularly for grace and the Holy Spirit to be granted to fight against that sin? Maybe that's part of the issue. Thy name is Jesus. Because thou shalt save thy people from their sins. I am one of thy people. This is one of my sins. Help me. Grant to me grace in the Holy Spirit that alone comes from thee. Over and over again. And of course, do we mean it when we pray it? Or is it, you know, I really want to keep this sin in my life. But I'm supposed to pray for grace in the Holy Spirit. Or, I want to hold on to this sin this much. Just keep me from the greatest expressions of it. Even as I hold on to it here and love it and put my arms around it, I don't want you to take it from me. Don't give me grace in the Holy Spirit to take all of it from me. Just these parts, the great expressions of it. Then, we're not really praying for grace in the Holy Spirit, are we? Oh, how we need grace and the Holy Spirit. The psalmist won't even walk out his door in the morning without praying for it. He's unwilling to take a step out of his house before he prays for grace and the Holy Spirit. Lead me, O Lord, verse 8, Psalm 5, in thy righteousness. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer. And this is a vital part of my prayer. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness as I go into my day. Because of mine enemies, the devil, the world, and my own flesh, I need grace and the Holy Spirit to strengthen me in the battle this is the inward compulsion, twofold: the overwhelming gratitude, at the knowledge of what my God has done for me, and the fact that I need these things from Him. And that compulsion leads me to keep the discipline, to set the discipline and to keep it and it fills the prayers that I'm praying more and more with real spiritual life. So that you see then, beloved, the Christian's prayer life is something like Old Faithful, that geyser in Yellowstone. Old Faithful runs on a schedule. It has a very disciplined life living as a geyser. Every 90 minutes or so, Old Faithful erupts. But when it erupts, it erupts Also out of this inward compulsion that cannot be contained so that it shoots forth into the air, so too the Christian's prayer life. And yes, sometimes that compulsion is not as strong as at other times. Sometimes it starts out not very strong and maybe it's almost sheer willpower keeping that. But why am I keeping the discipline? It's because I love Him. That's why I'm keeping the discipline. And maybe sometimes that compulsion of real spirituality even gets stronger as the prayer continues. Sometimes old faithful starts out pretty slow and gradually builds up to a great eruption. And yes, sometimes prayer won't have the same fervor as at other times. Sometimes old faithful shoots 106 feet into the air, other times it shoots 185 feet. It isn't always as fervent as it is at other times. And yes, sometimes our prayers will last shorter, sometimes they will last longer, sometimes Old faithful shoots for a minute and a half, sometimes it shoots for five minutes, but old faithful keeps erupting regularly with discipline, and so too the Christian in his prayer life. To be sure, there's other times when we pray simply because we're overwhelmed with the desire to pray. And we spontaneously erupt in prayer. Absolutely. There's other geysers in Yellowstone that don't run on any schedule and just erupt when they're full of this inward compulsion to erupt. That's true, but it's both. It's both. When we come to the Lord in that spiritual discipline of prayer, and at other times when we simply erupt overwhelmed to pray must also have the balance in our attitude of approach to him and recognize that this is the holy, holy God and at the same time that this God is our Father for Christ's sake. The temptation can be, first of all, to approach him without this sense of holiness. That recognizes that this one with whom we are speaking is majestic and glorious and absolutely holy. The catechism says, therefore, we must pray. From the heart to him as he has revealed himself in his word not as a figment of our own imagination as he really is. As people who recognize with the psalmist in Psalm 5, 4, and 6, thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak. Leasing the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. There is a kind of sobriety and weight that comes upon a person who recognizes that this is who God is. And that leads the psalmist to pray the way that he prays in Psalm 5. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. God is His King and He is God's subject. You don't come into the presence of a king the same way. You come into the presence of a a classmate or your friend. You have a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of sobriety and weight. There's a kind of bowing of the heart, a genuflection of the soul before this great and majestic God. And you, you have this sense as you come into his presence. I am a humble sinner before him. And so I speak not with pride or with presumption and not with flippancy. And not to let him have it or to tell him what I think, but in humility before the great God. And yet at the same time, that's balanced with the reality that notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, He will for the sake of Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as He has promised us in His Word It's balanced as it is for the psalmist. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. He's King but he's mine. I'm in a relationship with him where he has taken me to himself and granted to me his great mercy. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, verse 7. knowing that he is my father for Christ's sake and he delights in my coming into his presence and holding the two of these together in my mind and heart that he's king and he's father. And then knowing that as king and as father, he delights in our asking for what we need for body and for soul. What may I ask of him? May I only ask of him grace and the Holy Spirit? Because that's spiritual and it's unspiritual. If I ask him for this job opportunity so that I can support myself, support my family, and kingdom causes. No, that's not unspiritual. Not if it's necessary. All things He commands you to ask of Him for body and for soul. He's the Father who provides for both. And He wants us to come to Him seeking what we need for our body too. He doesn't want us to think that Only the spiritual things come from Him and the things for our body. Well, that comes from my own ingenuity, of course. Or my own work ethic, of course, that I have produced within myself. That comes from Him too. And I seek Him knowing that this comes from Him and His providence to me. I ask Him for all that I need. If He gives me more than what I need physically, then I will use that to His glory. I'm not going to ask him for more than I need, but I ask him for what I need for the soul too. What good is the health of the body without the health of the soul, beloved? I need grace and I need the Holy Spirit to live as his child in this world. I need the strength of his church around me. I need the preaching of his word and purity, so I pray for these things. I pray for the spiritual health of my children, for the assurance of the forgiveness of sins in the cross of Christ. These are the three balances that we must keep as we think about prayer. It's commanded, yet a spiritual inward compulsion. It's addressed to the king who is also our father And we pray for what we need for the soul and for the body. And you see, this is what makes the Lord's Prayer the perfect prayer from which to learn prayer in the next number of weeks. Because the Lord's Prayer, as taught by the Lord Himself, perfectly maintains all of these balances. The Lord's Prayer is a form prayer. And as I pointed out, it expects us to pray for these things daily as a regular spiritual discipline. And yet, it's a kind of prayer that can't be prayed unless there is this inward compulsion of a child before his father. It teaches us to address God as both King and Father. Our Father who art in heaven. And it teaches us to pray for what we need. For the soul, forgive my sins. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And for the body, give us this day our daily bread. It's no wonder the church has always recognized This prayer is the model prayer. It's why this prayer is included in almost every catechism that came out of the period of the Reformation, even catechisms that went back beyond that to the early part of the church. And it's why when Martin Luther's barber asked him how to pray, He went straight to teaching his barber the Lord's Prayer. One day in 1535, Martin Luther came into Master Peter's barber shop for a trim and a shave. Even great men need haircuts. Master Peter had recently been converted to the Reformation cause out of the Roman Catholic Church. And he did not know how to lead his family in prayer. And as Dr. Luther was sitting in the barber's chair, and he was working on him, it was a perfect time to ask. Luther gave him a limited answer there while he was getting his hair cut, but then he went home and he wrote a little book, the title of which is How One Should Pray for Master Peter the Barber. And in that little book, The first thing Luther did is he went through the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase, line by line, teaching the man how to meditate on these things that the Lord gave him and how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. This is our model prayer. Maintaining the perfect balance of command and compulsion of fatherhood and kingship of body and soul. Let's be strengthened in our own prayer life as we go through it, line by line, too, in the weeks to come. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearts. Strengthen our faith in this aspect of our life, too, Father, our prayer life. To thy glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen.